Hello, and welcome to Active Exchange's Academy podcast series. Here, we bring together industry leaders to share their learnings and experiences working with data across the sport, leisure, and recreation sector. Today, we're talking about data privacy. It's Data Privacy Day, which is now a week of international effort to create awareness about the importance of respecting privacy, safeguarding data, and enabling trust. It's a number of pieces of content we're sharing across the globe to increase awareness and empower our network to respect privacy, safeguard data, and further build in their trust and ability to harness data. If you want to find out more, as always, head to activeexchange.org for more information. Right now, it's a great time to think and talk about data. According to Reuters 2022, 56% of Australia's population has just been exposed to leaks in two incidences alone, Medibank and Optus. So everyone is likely to have an opinion on data security. But the fact remains that data and the movement towards data-driven decision-making is critical to the advancement of all industries, but even more so for the global sport, fitness, recreation industry. With budget stretched and market forcings, forces appearing unpredictable, collaboration and sharing insights about the data journey and how to choose the right path is more important than ever. To explore the topic today, I'm joined by Richard Schultz, who are better known as Schultzy at Active Exchange, last year joined us uh, bring to Active Exchange and our network over 20 years at the top of senior data management roles at organisations including Foxtel and Bupa. He's a decision scientist with an extensive track record designing, developing and managing advanced analytical products, comfortable solving complex, unstructured problems. Richard leads our global team tasked with building advanced analytics capabilities in partnership with the entire sports eye ecosystem by safely and securely integrating data from a wide range of sources to create compelling insights. Welcome, Richard, to your first Active Exchange podcast. Thank you, James. Good to be here. <laughs> Great to have you here. So, Richard, not many of our network would have spent a lot of time around a, a, a senior head of data with a career like yours. Um, can you give us a, a quick overview of your previous work and some of the complex questions you've tackled through data and the kind of stories that you've told? Sure. Um, so I started out in my market research around 20 years ago. Um, fairly quickly became frustrated with the limitations of just working with opinion-based data, so people's opinions. Um, because you know the data sets weren't huge, you'd often see sample sizes of say a thousand customers at, at best, and um, you know you can work with that, but there's not a hell of a lot you can do with it. And so it wasn't particularly useful either. And you know, I guess a reasonably famous example from my experience is we um, um, we did a pricing study on the bridge climb in Sydney and the Harbour Bridge um, way back, and. Um, Many of you would be familiar with bridge climb as a as an experience. Um, it's pretty exciting. It's incredibly popular. 
but our, the best we could do with our pricing study was come up with a recommended price for that experience at around $60 per person. And our client flatly <laughs> rejected that number and launched with a $199 price point. And it was hugely successful. And I'm sure it's probably more expensive today and even more successful. I've done it twice and paid more than that. <laughs> Indeed, it just talks to the limitations of asking people Absolutely. what they to pay for a service that they, they can't really compare to anything they've done before. Mm. And um, probably a, a minor point on that was, I guess one thing we did find that was interesting is the potential market for the bridge climb is actually Australians who don't live in Sydney uh, rather than a huge sort of international contingent. Yeah, interesting. Um, so a lot of people coming to Sydney will, will have that experience. Um, so at that time, data warehousing was sort of taking off and large companies were starting to compile these big databases of customer data for the first time. And that seemed to me to be a huge opportunity in my career. Yeah. So at that point, I followed a fairly typical data science type career, even though I was perhaps one of the earlier ones. So I started out doing behavioral type analysis, customer segmentation, that sort of work, exploiting this new source of information that was internal to companies and, and therefore trying to help them get a competitive edge. Mm. Uh, and that evolved into things like predictive modeling. I've done quite a bit of work, especially around churn prediction. Um, which I kind of enjoy. It's very challenging, and and that evolved into customer lifetime value management over time. Um, and a big part of that work, and I guess the relevance to this conversation today is, you know, it's one thing to do the analysis; it's another to execute it, to apply that knowledge in the real world, and gain value out of it. And the vehicle for that was largely through one-to-one -one, um, comms, that now known as personalization type strategies. And this is where I encountered a whole range of issues around how, how to automate, how to achieve sort of basic compliance, and also, of course, privacy, which is today's topic. Mm. can only imagine what you've seen over 20 years. <laughs> um, you know, I've been working in this industry for 20. Um, and, you know, data is the new oil that, that was coined in 2006. And I'd imagine, you know, you were working before then in data. Um, how has data privacy changed over your journey? Well, indeed, James. So the Privacy Act didn't even exist when I started <laughs> my career. So um, that's one big change. That's a um, big change. In yeah. that it's an issue mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't even considered probably, yeah. I'd say, maybe 25 years ago. Um, so, you know, like I said, the first work was actually just being able to execute. Mm -hmm. But very quickly after that, you know, companies were making mistakes um, some of them public, some of them not so. Um, my involvement started actually when automated campaign management systems started to become a thing. So yep. following data warehousing, then it was the tools that mm -hmm. help you execute on that data. Um, and there was a real need for just sort of process discipline uh. in that space just to achieve things like automation benefits Um um, and even just sort of basic compliance, like getting the right message to the right customer. Yeah. And some of the issues we encountered at that time were just not even being able to execute in time. So as you would know, marketing campaigns are usually on a schedule. The messaging has to get out at a certain time, otherwise it's stale. Yep. Um, if, you can't, if you can't get the, um, the sort of contact list out the door, the, opportunity, the moment is lost. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of process work that we, we did under the covers there, and um, but there were some other sort of you know, standard problems of not getting the logic right, so we were talking to the wrong people. 
Now, before the Privacy Act, there weren't major consequences there other than sort of embarrassment, but um, these things were happening on a reasonably frequent basis. And that was sort of the reason that I got involved, was to try and sort of help introduce more discipline in that space. Um, these days, it's become even more complicated. So with the explosion of digital comms and social media, um, the way these things can go wrong is, is far more severe around things like identity theft, fraud, and so on. Mm. That's a really interesting perspective when you consider that, you know, with those, with the explosion of those, what most would consider opportunities, mm. but obviously come with a lot of risk. Yes. Because, yes, you know, it hyper accelerates being able to get out to people, but also then your circle of control. Yes, that's right. And there's probably another parallel thing happening there, Jane, which is the, the way of communicating. So it's mm. actually, as you mentioned, like very, very cheap to um, use these digital comms at scale. And um, in the old days, when you were constrained by direct mail, mm. it was very expensive to do. So the yep. people understood the value of targeting at that point. But when the channels become very cheap and you can reach everybody, suddenly the imperative to target is is becomes less important yep. for, for people who just think through a cost lens. Mm. And there's a temptation to want to just tell everyone everything, all your messages, and just go out to everybody. And um, so that actually increases the risk of these things like identity theft and the potential for you know privacy violations. Yeah, and it also yeah, hyper-complicates just how to navigate your best decision, doesn't it, really? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting, and I think sort of bringing it maybe across to active exchange, you yes. know, and joining the dots of your background to to now, you know, literally hundreds of organisations who have trusted us with their data. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about, you know, the type of data and what we do with it and how we sort of, you know, take take the market with us. But I guess, as, as you know, um, Richard, from coming in and personally getting to know me a bit, um, and people have heard me before talk about my 20 years you know, in operations and marketing and making some of the mistakes you talk about where it's just embarrassing, but, and that's just the, you know, that was that, that was what was the issue before now. It's, there's a lot more complexity around that. Um, but, you know, I've sort of worked around all parts of the systems in my many roles and whilst appreciating the complexities in the sport and recreation sector, you know, I, I just kept growing increasingly frustrated by the lack of evidence behind decisions. Um, you know, I'd, ro I'd roll in to open up new assets on behalf of partners and, you know, despite the best intentions, would observe a continual mismatch, you know, of facilities and programs offered that just weren't really meeting community need, you know. Um, and I felt personally over and over again that collectively, regardless of who, we were missing so many opportunities and weren't making the most of the funds that were exempt, but were available, but also the pie wasn't getting any bigger either because mm. of that. Um, and that's really why I'm so passionate about the work we do um, through your team um, because, you know, of the data silos and the fragmented approach to data analysis, you know, we're breaking down, building a really collective data intelligence platform for all parts of the system to move away from the traditional best intentioned, you know, what I've described as finger in the air approach mm -hmm. to decisions because of the lack of quality data insights. So I guess bottling that up into where to with Active Exchange, you know, why are you here? What excited you about joining the team? Well, I think, James, the things you mentioned around the, the network, so the, the 
the global opportunity to do this work and to support a, um, a network, a, a community-based network. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously very exciting. The way it links to my career is, you know, I, I like doing the data work. Um, I like the um, the challenge of, of supporting decisions based on fact, not, mm. not on opinion. Um, and um, I think, the you know, there's opportunity at the real extreme end of that to automate these decisions mm. at scale these days um, that you might even call artificial intelligence. But before we get there, there's some much more sort of basic decisions, um, sorry, basic um, requirements that would need to be in place. Um, it's a good it's a that's no, a great segue, I think, into you know what you bring to this discussion now now that you're joining the team. And I think one of the things we've spoken about a bit is just how many people have some really big decisions to make. Yeah, I think probably the point I wanted to make there was it's not just about decision based on fact, it's and it's not just an abstract data person working on that. Mm. The challenge that I like doing is the is the applied nature of that, which is connecting those that analysis or that work to value, however you define value. Mm. So that could be, in my previous roles, commercial value. Um, Obviously, profit-making companies want want to make commercial value. Um, And uh, in the active exchange context, that's what we want to do with with some of our commercial partners. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But then in the community organisation context, it, it would be about member growth. So mm-hmm. how do we do that in a sustainable fashion? So mm-hmm. in my work, whether it's commercial or non-commercial, the same basic principles apply, which is it's not just about how you do something quickly to get a fast turnaround and get a result. It's actually about making sure we can do that in a consistent way that drives a sustainable result over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's those sort of challenges that get me out of bed at the moment. That's great. And I think um, sort of heading into the next sort of question, but just to sort of recap on that, that value point is a really interesting Mm -hmm. one, you know, where I think as an industry, we've struggled to be comfortable with what value needs to be created Mm -hmm. to push the needle on the benefit of what we do. But the the real risk that, you know, you and I have talked about is that, you know, the consequences of these decisions that we're making is, you know, not backed by data is enormous when you think, that bottom line of making that local place create value, you know, and really we're talking about the health of our nation, you know, like it's those two questions, you know, why is one person more likely to be active and why is one place more likely to absorb demand? And I think it's, you know, interesting to try and tackle that the way data is constructed. Yeah, and that value is is highly subjective. It means mm. different things to different people. Mm. Uh, it means different things in different contexts. But one of the things you've been sort of sharing me as someone who's with me who's new to the industry is this notion that there's a whole range of people working on this all around the world mm-hmm. to properly or objectively quantify value in the context of community sport. Mm. And that's also really interesting, I think, because um, obviously there's huge different stakeholder inputs, um, um, but there is this opportunity and Active Exchange can participate in that in sort of helping define and and execute on those global intentions. Yeah, that's what gets me out of bed, Richard, mm. that's for sure. Um, it's probably a great segue into, well, that, that's really exciting, but at the end of the day, you know, without confidence, um, to take some of those first steps and be part of the journey, you know, it's it's really a bunch of unparalleled 
transactions, right? We're all yes. going on different paths because of the different subjective and objective perceived value discussions. So one of our main priorities at Active Exchange, as you know, is to give customers confidence to make evidence-based decisions. Uh, and the first step in this is usually an educational journey to understand some fundamental data principles. So can you provide a, a bit of a, an overview of these principles for, for our listeners? Sure. Um, so there's a, there's a handful. The main one being data ownership, mm. being clear on who the owner of that data is. And yep. um, I think that, you know, in many cases, that is ultimately the individual, the, the member of a community sporting organisation, just an individual member of the public. They own their data. And, yep. um, you know, we need their trust, their confidence in order to be able to um, take that information and utilise it in a meaningful way. Um, related to that, you know, there are there are other parties involved. So we have this concept of the data controller, who is the generally the immediate organisation who that person, the owner of the data, is, is interacting with. And trusts. Yeah, indeed. And so they 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 give their information to that organization and, and it's a responsibility of that organization to control that appropriately and, mm. and in a way that's legally compliant. And then another sort of part part participant in that process is the processor themselves, with for which active exchange is a good example. Yep. We we don't have a direct relationship with that owner, but on behalf of the data controller, we work with them um, to help execute on on strategy. Mm. Um, the second key principle is around data privacy. So um, I'm not sure if many of our local audience will know this, but uh, Europe has the tightest um, data privacy rules in the world, um, what's known as the GDPR, which is a, I think stands for General Data Protection Right, and that gives an individual the right to completely opt out of any data sharing processes. So that is, that's the most advanced legislation in the world because Active Exchange is a global organisation. We we are complying with that, um, and we do that globally, whether we need to or not. Now the reason now one of the requirements for GDPR is that an individual can opt out, so they can d- demand of the data controller that they don't want their information or their records shared with anyone, mm-hmm. and they can actually ask for it to be physically deleted if they terminate their relationship with that data controller. So. Um, you know, you can appreciate, I think, that companies need to have, organisations need to have processes in place that allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite common that that doesn't happen. So we've had to adapt our practices to make sure that we can support the tightest legislation in the globe mm-hmm. around data privacy. And probably the final principle worth mentioning is around data security itself. So um, at the heart of that is having um, an up-to-date um, IT and cybersecurity policy and procedures, and so that we can demonstrate we're implementing those to any third party who wishes to be interested in that challenge. So we could be audited, we could have inquiries. You know, it's about making sure we've got a standard set of procedures so that we can um, underpin our our network and and maintain those trusted relationships. Mm. Some really important principles there, and I think it's it's actually been part of the journey that we've gone on with our partners in, in educating them about their role in this, and actually at times giving them the confidence to act as the controller. Mm. You know, to have that you know benefit back to them to get the insights that are going to improve or enhance 
the relationship with their customer base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably one other thing to mention there, James, that I forgot was there's a fourth principle, which is data transparency. Yep. So um, between an organisation like Active Exchange and the, the data controller, um, we have to make sure that we've got very clear, transparent data use and service level agreements around how we utilise that data, when we use it, mm. and what are the responsibilities then. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point to circling back to them, you know, having that transparent relationship that if, if any customers are, of, of ours are listening, they'll re- refer to the, the quite lengthy document that we have that really spells that out, that's paramount. Um, and having a really clear upfront conversation about where what information is going, um, why it's going there and, and how, and being really clear about the, the relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which probably brings us on to with the, the principles um, the sort of the, the kind of key point around personally identifiable information. Um, as I mentioned at the start, there's been a lot of um, press about some of the recent data breaches of large organisations, which I don't think there's just a spike at the moment. It's been it's been happening, you know, in general terms for a while, but the, the ones recently were quite unique. Um, what do you want our network to understand about the what and how we do our work? When we talk about PII, it's the catchphrase, but what what do you want people to know about the work we do? Hmm, good question, James. Um, look, it's important everyone understands what PII is and what are the risks and concerns around this type of data. Um, and I can talk a little bit to how Active Exchange manages personally identifiable information. Mm. Um, so we do use it, we don't store it is the simplest way to understand it. So um, as part of our process, we bring in um, some basic PII data around um, people's age and um, where they live and gender, so general population characteristics. And mm-hmm. that's how we use it. So once we pull it into our systems, we use it to assign those individuals to a geographic area. Mm-hmm. Um, we use standard um, public domain um, geographic classifications in Australia. That's the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And once we have located a member to a geographic area, then we delete all of that personally identifiable information on those individuals. Yep. So we're able then to do all sorts of analysis where we can integrate that understanding of individual level data with third-party data, but without ever using that individual's um, information directly. Yep. That's the general process. Um, and that's where things get interesting for someone like me. <laughs> yeah, that's where the fun begins. Indeed. You know, and for the listeners out there who have worked with us, that's what we were talking about, mesh blocks, you know, where yes. it's a small group of um, households, but yeah. it's all um, population density relationship, isn't it? So yeah, that's right. You know, the, the size changes. So they're small, but they're large enough to ensure um, that no individuals can be identified. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Also, there's some other points to make there. So we've we've had the good luck to have some industry funding over the past 18 months to help us rebuild our tech stack. Mm. So we are now sitting on state-of-the-art technology. Um, our data is stored in the cloud with the highest security and privacy sort of support. Um, we use um, Microsoft Azure stack for anyone with a technical bent, um, pretty much state-of-the-art, and um, it really has helped us sort of automate this process and tighten up the security of how we manage this really sensitive data. Um, We're continuing to um, try and find a benefit here, particularly around how we integrate different um, partners 
um, data onto our network uh, so that we, we can automate that process as well and reduce human intervention at the point of where we ingest new data onto our platform. That's um, a really interesting point, Richard, for the for the for the for the people who, you know, often in our industry um, we work with softwares um, and we look to other software um, for other parts of our business like finance and accounting and you just see this rapid expansion of everything integrates. You know, if I, I log into Zero to do my banking and it mm. talks to Westpac and it talks to the ATO and it talks to all these things, yeah. it's just fundamental, isn't it, these yeah. days? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think many people will see from the experience you described then, James, that in, in when it's done well, Mm. It increases trust. It um, it makes your life better, um, and that's that's our objective. We're yeah. trying to just be a participant in that. It's uh, I, I find this is why these these conversations are so important. Is that's often the biggest barrier to the benefit for the sector mm. is the you know the limitations of collaborating around data share and ecosystem coordination mm. because it's it's and it's why we. We were where we were even five years ago when Active Exchange came to market, mm. you know, and this idea of data and value, but the benefit as an ecosystem mm. and each of the key parts of it playing their role. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely critical. Well, now you've got your feet under the desk. So, you you know, you're, you've been here for a little bit now and you've knowing what you know from your 20 years and listening into our network, which is a really important part of the, you know, the next phase. From your point of view, this idea of safe, secure, and, and a sophisticated data system, why is it so valuable? Well, I think we have the opportunity to connect um, data from a whole range of partners, as you mentioned, through the ecosystem, right down to individual community membership organisations, um, higher level sporting organisations and government entities that, that support these organisations and um, help fund and build the infrastructure that they use. Um, so the more holistic perspective we can create on the industry's challenges, the better. Um, and there are two sort of key benefits from that that I can see. And one is that coming back to sort of my particular experience in one-to-one comms and driving membership growth, that mm. that's our objective is how do we support all these organizations and sustain and grow their own membership bases uh, and do that in a way that's consistent. And by doing that holistically, we can identify core principles that work well that can be applied across geographies, across across industries, and across even different types of sporting organisations that maybe perhaps didn't even think that they had similarities in the past. Mm. Um, that's the value of data. And probably the other thing that we can do is, um, because of our holistic perspective, support those sort of organisations that are heavily volunteer-led and not-for-profit and who tend to lack resources to do this work for themselves and so that we can sort of bring that into a um, uh, a centralised place um, where we can we can um, attain economies of scale there on their behalf. Yeah, I I'll tell you what, listening to, to that and sort of sitting in my role for the last two and a half years and actually, you know, being a user of the very um, early um, version of what was active exchange in a, in a previous life and I think back to automation and process discipline and basic mm. compliance and, and the ideas of getting the logic right and ex executing in real time and it's such an opportunity for us as a as an ecosystem as a network and and collectively you know um, I think what's exciting is 
you know, your observation and insights to get the real things moving. You know, we want to get more people active. We want them, you know, connected. And we know that there's this real time is now moment with the economy, with the mm. way that we've, we've, we've responded to COVID and coming into a real change of life. Now more than ever, it's got to be data-driven, doesn't it? Indeed, you know? yeah. 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 Well, look, it's been fantastic. We wanted to keep today short and sweet and give our uh, listeners a bit of an insight into someone from with your kind of background, um, tackling data privacy um, and working with you know what we now have as hundreds of organisations plugging, you know, I think it's you know six million individual data records into this this place worldwide now. Um, really important for us to double down on those. Um, you know, terms and ideas of ownership and control and processing and understand that. So thank you. Thanks for sharing your time. And again, to our listeners, um, you can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify for searching for Sports Eye Academy. Um, or if you have any questions or are interested in our services, please contact us at intelligence at activeexchange.org. Thanks, Richard. Thanks again, James. Bye, everyone.